we're going to dive in once again uh, for our final time in this season into the book of Daniel. I, I hope you have loved this book as much as I have. It is a lot to say to us in our day. And, and a couple of weeks ago, if you missed it, we tackled one of the more, more imaginative passages in, in all of the Bible, uh, full of terrifying beasts and horrible ten-headed creatures with, with horns. Let me give you a quick recap. These passages in the last part of Daniel are, are often looked to to find out what's going to happen in the future. But the tack we kind of took, the approach we took, was not so much to figure out a specific future as, as to say which creature, which horn represents which country, which, which ruler. We, we didn't even look at any predictions as to who the Antichrist would be, even though I know many of you suspect that it's Justin Trudeau or Donald Trump. Either or. We did look at how these creatures do speak to us, though, of the reality of evil, evil forces that are powerful and cunning and proud, powers that have declared war on our world and on followers of God, which unfortunately means that, that you and I, that we are in a, a very real spiritual war, a very real spiritual battle with a very real enemy, and we shouldn't be surprised when trouble comes our way, when we experience opposition and pushback. But we also learned how God wants to powerfully equip each of us to be warriors in this spiritual battle, primarily through prayer, that our prayers actually matter. Well, today's message is really a, a continuation of that theme. We, we can expect opposition and, and trouble, but, but the reason we can live in a chaotic world, crazy world at times, and still have hope is because of the, the reality and character of God. And we're going to look at this part, uh, this in, in the next part of Daniel's vision. But, but before we do that, would we just pause for a moment and pray? Lord God, we just acknowledge your presence here with us this morning. Uh, Father, we lift our hearts and our minds up towards you uh, to the heavens. Uh, Father, would you again, as you so faithfully do, reveal yourself to us through your word today. May we learn more of your character more, and, and, and what that actually means for our lives. And may this not become uh, just head knowledge for us. We pray, rather, that we might come to hear and know you as God in our lives. It'll affect how we live. It'll, it'll affect how we relate to others, Lord. It'll affect how we relate to ourselves, It'll, it'll reflect and change even the state of our hearts. Speak to each of us today, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in the, in the passage in, in Daniel chapter 7, there's, in, in verse 9, there's an abrupt change of scenery in these. We, we've had these evil creatures, these strange-looking beasts, and there's a shift here. David, Daniel goes on using more symbol and, and imagery to describe heavenly reality. He says, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the ancient of days took his seat. We're going to come back to that, that phrase, thrones were, were set in place. The ancient of days took his seat on the throne. And, and, and we're going to see how that one phrase is really a word from God <laughs> that secures our future. 
And, and Daniel goes on to describe this character, the, the Ancient of Days. He says, his clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousands time, ten thousands stood before him. The, the court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words of the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. Let's just kind of stop there for a moment. Again, uh, using this imagery of the vision that he receives, Daniel talks about God, the Ancient of Days. This name for God is, is only found in the book of Daniel, and, it, and it's a rich name that kind of expresses the, the expansiveness of the eternal nature of God. It expresses this, this ancient, deep wisdom of God. Uh, William Blake famously painted a, a picture of this image titled Ancient of Days. And, and it's, it's just a picture, but it's not just artists like Blake and others that have been curious about this. For as long as people have walked the planet, they've been asking the question, what is God like? Who is he really? Came across uh, this uh, a while back, a homework assignment by an eight-year-old boy named Danny Dutton, and uh, his assignment was to explain God. Can you imagine given, been, being given that assignment by your teacher? He's eight years old, and here's his shot at, at answering this. He says, now one of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die so there will be enough people to take care of things on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups just babies. I think because they are smaller and easier to make. That way he doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He can just leave that to mothers and fathers. It's like delegation right there. God's second most important job is listening to prayers. An awful lot of this goes on since some people like preachers and, and, and things pray at times besides bedtime. <laughs> God doesn't have time to listen to the radio or TV because of this. Because he hears everything, there must be a terrible lot of noise in his ears unless he has thought, some way, thought of some way to turn it off. God sees everything and hears everything and is everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't go wasting his time by going over your mom and dad's head asking for some, something they said you couldn't have. <laughs> we should have kept the kids up for this section, I think, shouldn't we? I think so. Jesus is God's son. I like this. He, he, he used to do all the hard work, like walking on water and performing miracles and trying to teach people who didn't want to learn about God. They finally got tired of him preaching to them, and they crucified him. But he was good and kind like his father, and he told his father they didn't know what they were doing and to forgive them. And God said, okay. His dad, God, appreciated everything he had done and all his hard work on earth, so he told him he didn't have to go on the road anymore. <laughs> what a great line. <laughs> you can stay home here in heaven, son. So he did. 
And now he helps his dad out by listening to prayers and seeing things which are important for God to take care of and which ones he can take care of himself without having to bother God, like a secretary, only more important. A little fuzzy on the Trinity right there, folks. <laughs> like a secretary, but more important. Uh, you can pray anytime you want, and they're sure to help you because they've got it all worked out so that one of them is on duty all the time. <laughs> the father can have a break. <laughs> you should always go to church on Sunday because it makes God happy. And if there's anybody you want to make happy, it's God. This is good for West Coasters. He says, don't skip church or do something you think will be more fun like going to the beach. This is wrong. And besides, the sun doesn't come out at the beach until noon anyway. <laughs> in Vancouver, that's often true. <laughs> if you don't believe in God, besides being an atheist, you'll be very lonely because your parents can't go with you everywhere you go, like to camp, but God can. It's good to know he's around when you're scared in the dark or you can't swim and you get thrown into real deep water by big kids. But you shouldn't just always think of what God can do for you. I figure God put me here and he can take me back anytime he pleases and that's why I believe in God. Not bad for an eight-year-old kid, huh? Not good? Yeah. Well, in our text, yeah, let's just close the service now, shall we? In our text, God uh, gives Daniel these pictures and images and, and symbols to help convey what he's actually like. And I, and I want to walk you through this and tell you why it matters, because there's actually some significant implications for all of us as to who God is. In verse 9, Daniel says, thrones were set in place, and the ancient of days, God sat down. He took his seat. And I got to say, there, there is a, a weightiness to that phrase. God sat down. It's an image of authority and power and, and, and justice. A, a king reigning or a judge sitting. Daniel's saying that God is, is going to set things right. That, that day is, is going to happen. It's going to come. And in this broken and, and messed up world where, where so many horrible things happen and we see them in our news feeds every day and we kind of wonder and ask the question, will, will justice ever, ever be served? Will it ever come? One day there will be. The Ancient of Days is going to take his seat. That, that throne is going to be occupied and things are going to be set right in the world. Now, Daniel, as we reflected on often, he, he actually knew about injustice I think about his experience with kings in his life. First king uh, abducted him and, and carried him off into captivity from his family and his, and his home, homeland. A second king, Belshazzar, actually removed him from office just on a, on a whim in some senses. Third king throws Daniel into the lion's den. Daniel knew about in, injustice. He suffered deeply from people sitting in their own seats of power. And, and I, I wonder, Daniel must have asked the question, Will justice ever happen? For me and, and for the people of God, will, will it ever be served? And God says the day's coming. <laughs> There's a throne. You see, in this world, there, there are a lot of thrones. There's lots of powers. I mean, there's uh, political thrones and, and corporate and, and financial and there's lots of injustice going on, but another day is coming and there's an important implication for this. 
You see, Daniel, in effect, is saying, justice is coming one day. There's one seated on the throne, and he's very wise. He's the Ancient of Days. This means that everyone who defies God is one day going to experience justice beyond our wildest capacity to imagine. Therefore, and it's actually a fairly significant therefore, we don't need to take justice into our own hands. The, the Apostle Paul uh, said in, in the New Testament in Romans 12, verse 17, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And Paul was writing that to a people like, like Daniel, people who were oppressed, and, and he says, justice is coming. And this has an implication for, for you and for me. Uh, some of you have been treated very unfairly. Un, unfairly. And, and maybe it's been from somebody who, who actually sat in a seat of power. Maybe it's your boss. Uh, maybe it's been someone in, in, in business or, or someone has, has cheated you. <laughs> or maybe a spouse hurt you deeply. Maybe you're someone who, who quite tragically could have posted in the last year or so that hashtag, far too common, me too. Or maybe a teacher or a, a person in authority wounded you, and the thought that they're going to get away with it kind of gnaws at your soul, like it kind of eats you up inside, and, 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 and you find you've, you've been carrying a grudge, and, 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 and maybe a bitter root has been kind of growing there, and you're hoping for, for somehow bad things to happen to them. It's chewing you up inside. And, and God says, that's too heavy a burden for you to carry. L let me handle it. I, I will repay, says the Lord. Uh, my first uh, exposure to the, the whole superhero genre was, uh, was a really cheesy, poorly made, I think it was made in the 60s or 70s, it was the, the Spider-Man cartoon. Did anyone see the Spider-Man cartoon? Yeah, it was, okay, I, I haven't seen it in a while, but I just remember even as a kid thinking, this is really bad television, <laughs> except for the really catchy theme song. Anybody remember the theme song? Spider-Man. Spider-Man does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, I don't know the words. Da-da-da-da-da-da, look out, here comes the Spider-Man. See, some of you know that, right? Wow. And those of you who are newer to Canada are going, these guys are weird in Canada. Um, so I became a bit of a Spider-Man fan in spite of the original shows, and when uh, there was a trio of movies that came out not that long ago. There's been many movies since. Uh, I remember reflecting on just how uh, the movies actually touched on, on some significant sort of spiritual realities, like things to do with, that, that went pretty deep in life. And uh, uh, in the third film, Peter Parker, Spider-Man becomes, becomes consumed with taking revenge on the murderer of his uncle. And after, after he does this, after he takes revenge, he's, he's feeling kind of proud of it until he has a conversation with his Aunt May, who uh, warns him about the poisonous power 
of revenge. Why don't we uh, watch the scene? Flint Marco, the man who killed Uncle Ben, he was killed last night. Oh, my. What happened? Spider-Man killed him. Spider-Man? I don't understand. Spider-Man doesn't kill people. What happened? I, uh... He... He was... I thought that, that you'd feel he deserved it, didn't he? I don't think it's for us to say whether a person deserves to live or die. But Aunt May, he killed Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben meant the world to us, but he wouldn't want us living one second with revenge in our hearts. It's like a poison. It can, it can take you over. <clears throat> Before you know it, turn us into something ugly. You catch those uh, lines from that wise ant? I don't think it's for us to say whether a person deserves to live or die. Uncle Ben wouldn't want us living for a second with revenge in our hearts. It's like poison, it can take you over. Before you know it, it can turn us into something ugly. How true. And folks, God doesn't want you living for a second with revenge in your hearts. He, he doesn't want you to carry that. It's a huge weight, and besides that, you carry it for long enough, it will turn you into something ugly. It'll warp your soul. Therefore, God says to his people, don't take revenge into your own hands. Some, some of you have been hurt. And, and honestly, you've been, you've been carrying it around. You've been carrying around resentment in your heart. God, God's saying it this morning that, that there is a day coming when the ancient of days is going to take the throne and justice is going to rule. And friends, whoever has wronged you, whoever has hurt you, they're going to face justice one day. God says... I'm going to set things right. Therefore, you can let it go. You can let it go for, for, for your sake. And, and, you can, and you let it go for God's sake. And you forgive. Be reconciled if you can. Paul says, if possible. And this is such a, such a convicting line for us, I would say. If possible, as far as it is up to you. That means... You don't wait for somebody else to get this figured out. As far as it is up to you, take responsibility, Paul says for this. Live at peace with everybody. Do everything you can to reconcile. Do everything you can to reconcile and be at unity. Now, obviously, we're meant to, to work for justice on this earth. We're to do life. We're to do justly. God instructs us to. But vengeance or revenge, a bitter or a vengeful spirit, absolutely not. You and I can't handle it. We can't take ultimate justice into our hands. But it is coming one day. And we put it into his. Back to Daniel 7, verse 9, it, it says, His clothing 
was as white as snow. The hair of his head was like white wool. This is a picture of purity. It's a common image in Scripture. Isaiah says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Our hearts will be cleansed. We're we're reminded that this God of ours is perfectly holy. He's, He's utterly pure. This God of ours is utterly good, entirely. Think about it. Through, through all eternity, God is a person who has never done a thing, never spoken a word, never entertained a thought that was anything less than the noble and righteous and good and true and beautiful. And in light of that, how can we not love a God like that? But there's a really important implication for this too. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 1 John 3, 3 says, everyone who has this hope, and he's really talking about this hope that we have in the returning Christ, this hope that God will set things right. Everyone who has this hope purifies themselves just as God is pure. Now, there's no doubt with just a a little bit of self-examination, there's usually a need for greater purity in our lives. And we're called to seek purity as as followers of Jesus. Jesus. Uh, a few years back, uh, Kathleen Norris, in her, her book, Acedia and Me, she wrote this confession. She said, I've become like the child I once knew who emerged one morning from a noisy, chaotic Sunday school classroom to inform the adults who'd heard all the commotion and had come to investigate. We're being bad, and we don't know how to stop. <laughs> N.T. Wright who suggests that one of the the core questions that every worldview tries to ask and answer is, is this, what is wrong with us? Something's off, what is it? And the follow-up question of every worldview is, is, well then how do we fix that? How do we address it? But here's the truth about us, something is is wrong with us, We're, we're being bad and and we don't know how to stop. There's impurity in in our hearts. And and the question is whether we're willing to go through the pain that is often involved in in purifying. Last time we talked about how how we're to be warriors for God, and and someone emailed me expressing this just sincere desire to be dangerous for God, to kind of be the kind of person that would kick at the, the darkness and have it bleed daylight into our world. Great image. I love that prayer. Lord, let me be dangerous for you, right? But we tend to think of, of, of warriors, especially in ancient times, in the ancient world, as, as someone who could, you know, fight with great physical strength or with great battle skill or something like that. But it's interesting, in the battles Hebrew soldiers fought in the Old Testament, what was far more important than skill or strength was that they were spiritually clean. In the New Testament, where where the sole emphasis in the battle is a spiritual battle, inward purity is everything. In in Ephesians 6, where where Paul's talking about the spiritual warfare that we're in, that that we're called to be warriors, he says, put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Both are pictures of, of, of integrity, pictures of purity. And if we want to be warriors for God in a spiritual battle like Daniel, we will seek to be spiritually clean. So I want to ask you right now, is there anything in your life that needs to be purified? Do you know when uh, you have a, an infection, uh, 
you know, you cut yourself and it starts to, what, what do you got to do? You got to put some, some painful stuff on there, right? Antiseptic and it stings. But before long, it, it begins to heal and it's made whole. What in your life needs God's antiseptic to be poured upon? Maybe this involves your, your finances. Maybe you've been involved in financial practices that you know are wrong, you know? You know something that needs to be set right. Or maybe it's about truth-telling. Some of you, perhaps you've been living with kind of a pattern of, of some kind of deceit in your life. And, and, and you've not been willing or, or feel able to actually uh, address it because of the pain. And I'd say face the pain, whatever it takes. I'm encouraging to do that. Maybe this involves problems in the area of, of sexuality. Or, or maybe there is, is cynicism in your heart, and, and you've just been letting it go kind of unchecked. Or maybe you've been growing an un, a, a judgmental heart. What is it for you that needs to get cleaned up? When, what do you need to confess to God or to another person to set right? John said, everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Well, that's the ancient of days, pure. Then Daniel talks about another aspect of God. He says, his throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Fire in Scripture is an image of God's power. The, the, the burning bush that was not consumed. The, the pillar of fire that, that helped deliver the, the Israelites from, from Pharaoh. Or fire from heaven that was called down by Elijah that defeated the, the well, ate up the, the altar and defeated the, the, uh, the prophets of Baal. We're talking about this power that comes from God. So I ask you this morning, is there any place in your life where you need God's power? Our God, says the, the writer of Hebrews, is a consuming fire. He's, uh, he's not tame. He's not safe. He is an awesomely powerful God. And I want you to see and understand how great his power is. Look at verse 11 uh, with me for a moment. Daniel says, Then I continue to watch because of the boastful words like the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body was destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Now the picture there is, is of this great, powerful beast. Daniel says in, in verse 7, it has large iron teeth and ten horns. It's, it's terrifying, frightening, and very powerful. And, and we might expect there to be this, this giant knockdown battle between this uh, awesome you know, terrifying beast and God. That's the way we'd do it in the movies, wouldn't it? We'd have this big, you know, battle. And that's, I think, what a lot of people think of when they think of the business of spiritual warfare or they think of even their picture of the end times. But notice what happens in verse 11. Here's this very frightening, very powerful beast, and Daniel looks at it. He says, I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed. It's like all of a sudden... God just snaps his fingers, battle done, <laughs> just like that. And, and doesn't that make sense? It, we have an infinitely powerful God. His power is not challenged by any force in the universe, not Satan, not anyone. 
But it also raises a huge question for us. If God is, is all-powerful, powerful, he, he can deal with that. Why doesn't he end the war right now? Why didn't he stop all the bad things from happening right now? Part of the answer that, that Scripture tells us is that God allows this spiritual struggle in this world to go on because his desire is that people should freely choose to follow him. People should freely choose to turn to him. This is exactly why Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, his promise to, 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 to return. He's not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Rather, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to, to come to repentance. We live in a day of God's patience. And, 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 and so this kind of fallen and broken world goes on, and, and it's frustrating, but, but don't be fooled. <laughs> you know, once he decides the struggle's over, once he decides that the opportunity for decision is done and, and the time for, for judgment has come, he's not going to need a long time. He's not going to need a lot of power, uh, firepower to, to, to wrap things up for the, in this final battle. It's not going to be a, a long struggle at all. God is infinite, and he holds all power. And when he says it's done, it's, it's going to be done, and one day it will be. And then we get to the, my favorite part of the passage where Daniel says, and I saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds. You know who that is. If the words sound familiar, they're the words that Jesus used in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 to tell us what was going to happen at the end. This is where Jesus got the phrase, the son of man, that he used to describe himself and his mission. And Daniel leaves us with a scene of, of worship in this never-ending glorious kingdom of the son of man. And you know what? Every time that we lift our hearts heavenward, every time we bow the, the, the knee of our hearts, if you can imagine doing that, and turn it towards God in worship, we're joining in with this worship that Daniel's describing. <laughs> and, and in a moment, I'm going to read the last two verses, verse 13 and 14, and then we're going to do some of that. We're going to go to the table and we're going to worship our God. But I want to take a moment to ask you, have you given God your worship? Have you bowed the knee of your heart to him? Have you found out that, that the best kind of life is not the kind of life you craft for yourself with you at the center? The best kind of life is where you find you're in touch with, with reality, universal reality, with God at the center, with God as the focus. Um, anytime I have, uh, and, and it's often happened when I, when I go away on a prayer retreat, for a couple days, uh, we often t I often talk about that as a re reorientation for me, kind of a recalibration of my, my identity. And I find as I spend time with God in quiet and solitude and kind of find out and discover the ways that I've been worshiping other things, adoring other things, and I, I kind of get recalibrated, I kind of make a fresh commitment to have God as my focal point. Do you know what happens to me every time? My life goes better. <laughs> Somehow it's better with him out front. Somehow it's better when, when he's the focus. We were made to worship. We were made to have our lives revolve around this glorious sun. 
this glorious king. Uh, it, it's interesting, Daniel, you know, he, uh, he comes to the end of his life, and we've, we've followed his life for a couple months here together, but, but when he was a young man, I, I think that he had such hopes and dreams. Like, I mean, think about what he'd wondered about for his life. Nothing seemed to turn right, right for him. And for all the struggle and for all the opposition that he experienced in this strange and faraway, hostile place, this, this, this land of Babylon, think about it. What an adventure he had with God. What an experience he had of, of God's power. But even all of that, even that experience, even that adventure is, is not his ultimate vision. It is not about his life. Daniel's ultimate vision is what takes place one day. Now listen to these words, verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all peoples and nations and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. What awesome words. And Daniel had that vision, but he never knew the Son of Man. We get to know the Son. We get to know, know Jesus. This, this Jesus of Nazareth who, who, who came one day in humility, and he walked this earth, and, and he died on a cross and was raised from the tomb to be our hope. Daniel didn't know Jesus, but we do. What a hope we have. And he is our only hope. And maybe today you're, you're here. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're feeling discouraged. Maybe life is going great. Hallelujah. But maybe you're feeling weak or, or inadequate or guilty. And it doesn't really matter because Jesus, who was crucified and, and raised again, is coming back. We're told in this passage, he will return we don't know when, but this is his promise to you and to me and to all of his followers. This is his promise to young men who get thrown into the furnace. It's a promise he made to, to those who get thrown into lion's dens. He, he makes this promise to Iraqi Christians who, who suffer and die because of their faith. This is his promise to all who struggle and suffer and yet persevere. One day he will return and he will receive all authority and, and, and glory and sovereign power. And on that day, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands will gather around and worship. And so this morning, folks, we get to do this, and we're going to do it right now, to worship, to come to this table, this, this Lord's Supper, which rep represents all that Jesus did in his first coming, all that he offered, his, his life, his very self, uh, his, his forgiveness, uh, a, a restored relationship with God. All that is represented in the, in the bread and the cup that reminds us of just the extravagant and generous love of God, all that he did. But as we take the bread and the cup, we also look forward to his second coming, the promise that he makes that he will come back. And when he comes, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that day, all manner of things will be well. Justice will come. Let's give him the praise he deserves this morning as we worship.
So worship team, I want to invite you to come on up here and, and we'll uh, sing in a moment. But as they come, I want to direct you just how we do uh, the Lord's Supper here at Hillside. Um, we uh, would invite you to come down these two center aisles and then and come and take the elements. We have ones for, for those regular folk who, who don't need gluten-free, and then we have gluten-free options at the end here. And then sort of exit back your seats going carefully through the narrow side aisles. And just a reminder, keep to single file so that people can actually return to their seats after they've taken the elements. But you can just take a piece of bread representing Christ's body and dip it in the, the cup of, of grape juice, which represents Christ's blood. And you can take it or take it back to your seats, remembering and, and having this as being a, an act of communion with Christ. And so the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. Do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. You proclaim the sufficiency of the cross until he comes again. I invite you, people of God, come and receive these awesome gifts that point us to our awesome Christ. Please come. One more thing we'd like to do today, uh, and that's to uh, remind you of a couple of things. First is this, from 1 Peter, as we've been reflecting on already, we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so now we come to him. Thank you, Lord. We come to you now, uh, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. That's you. Every one of you that know and love the Lord. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And every one of you who sung with a true heart today I've been doing that. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's your purpose. He made you for the praise of his glory, and you've been doing that this morning. You are a holy priesthood. And uh, Derwin and Angel have often served as priests for you, standing in the gap for you, between God and you, praying for you, caring for you. They're going to head off uh, for a time of rebuilding in their lives by God. Uh, and now it's your turn to express your holy priesthood on their behalf. And what I'd like you to do is, Derwin and Angel, could you just come up and sit right in the middle in the front here? And I would just ask 
everybody who's willing to come forward and just stand behind or around or any way you can, and just sit down there, you guys, and lay your hands on this couple as we commend them to these months ahead. So come on, come on forward and, uh, and do that. If you can't get close enough, that's fine. Just put your hands on someone behind <laughs> who does have it, and we'll do it by chain reaction, let's call it. And if you're uh, unwilling to move, uh, do it by faith. Put, extend a hand towards uh, those gathered at the front. Uh, and it's your opportunity now to pray, to be priests for these guys, okay? So as you're led, please pray. I'm going to give you a few moments to do that. And so, Lord, we uh, commend these dear brother and sister and their entire family, uh, Noah and Caleb and uh, their extended families. Lord, we, we commend this time into your hands. We lay hands on them uh, for uh, our blessings for every good work in their lives that you, as we've prayed so beautifully already, uh, want to accomplish within them. Set them free, uh, Lord, in the pathways of your commands. In our spirits, we pray, Lord. Uh, for your glorious name's sake, we commend them to you the months ahead. We bless them in your holy, wonderful name. Amen. Well, thank you uh, for... Uh, undertaking your priestly role, whether you got a chance to pray uh, out loud, you can sit down uh, or prepare to leave, whatever. Uh, service is uh, now ending, <coughs> pardon me, but uh, we are going to have, in about 10 minutes' time, I'll, I want you to go and get some refreshments, cool off, but if you're members of the church, we have a meeting that we're, we really uh, would, well, we need your attendance in some ways, and uh, we'd sure uh, we'd uh, we'd appreciate it if you come. And it'll be a brief meeting. We're going to reflect on the resolution that you should all be aware of of uh, approving um, elders we put you for, or at least voting on it. And uh, so, in 10 minutes' time, I'd ask members to regather in this room near the front here. If you need prayer uh, between now and then, please, um, something struck you, please come forward. We have a prayer team who would be delighted to pray with you and for you. Uh, with that, God bless each one of you, in the, and may you uh, sense his presence with you through the week ahead. Amen. <laughs>